Hey, Zach, how's it going? It's going very well, thank you. Do you want to watch, by any chance, Queer as Folk by Russell T. Davis? What if I say no? Does it just end here? Yes, it does. Okay, well, then I won't say no. I'll say yes! Woohoo! Let's go. Let's go. And welcome to Davis on Davis. This is the podcast all about Russell T. Davis. That's what one of the Davises uh, represents. The other Davis is is my surname. And the on represents my co-host, Zach Copeland-Green. How are you doing? I'm feeling on it today. Did you see what I did there? That's because I yep. represent and being... And also, before we go any further, my name's Louis, by the way. So I'm, I'm Louis Davis. It's news to me. I thought I was just sort of here, but it turns out I actually get two letters in the title, which is wonderful. Yes, you do. I'm going to claim those two letters for the rest of my life. So, who the hell are we? I think we should start with that. Oh, didn't we just? Didn't we just say you're Louis Davis and I'm uh, Zach Cohen Green? Yeah, but okay, no, you're right. Well, why? I mean, why are we doing this? What What are our qualifications to to talk about? In this case, every TV show written by Russell T Davis since um, 1999. Apart from a certain, some certain ones pertaining to a certain media franchise, but uh, are we are we allowed to mention it or? I don't know. The BBC might kind of like get on our backs for sort of talking about a certain long running science fiction show. I don't know. Well, I'm Lou Davis. I I guess I'm a science communicator. That's sort of what I'm trying to do as actual work. I'm also a little bit of a nerd, and I'm gay and and and, and Welsh. I think I think that that qualifies me, right? I think you sound overqualified for this podcast, if you ask me. And what about you? I'm Zach. Um, I am not a little bit of a nerd. I am a lot of a nerd who is trying to be a socially acceptable member of society. I'm currently doing a master's in television production because I want to try and channel all that nerd energy and the useless facts I know about certain television media franchises and, and actually try and make a living and a life out of them. And Louis uh, knocked on my door, um, metaphorically, of course, um, because he doesn't know where I live. And he said, why don't you join me and make a podcast about Rusty Davis? You you like this guy. You know things about him and the franchise. Let's, let's get together and have some conversations and record them. And I said, yes. And so here we are. I think, am I qualified? Oh, yes, I'm sorry. I haven't mentioned all my qualifications. I'm also gay and I'm from Manchester, which means between us, we cover like the whole Russell T. Davis shebang, as it were. We were thinking about how to sort of rank all his shows and rate all his shows. And we were thinking, what about on a scale from the English-Welsh border to Swansea? So <laughs> just how far into Wales each, each show is based on its quality. With the mumbles apparently being the absolute epitome of the finest television you could ever watch. So yeah, so without further ado, uh, let's get into what we're talking about today, which is the first two episodes of Queer as Folk. Uh, We decided to cover the first two episodes because the episodes are like half an hour long. So episode one is the first episode in the series. I know that's quite groundbreaking. Uh, It's written by Russell T. Davis. Um, which is a bit of a shock to all of us here. And it's directed by Charles McDougall, and it first aired on the 21st of February, 1999. And its title, to all our listeners, is Thursday. And this is a very important title, and I think we'll we'll come back to it time and time again and really think about what Thursday essence this episode really brings to us. We start with a an opening narration 
from the character Vince, who talks about how Thursday night, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, sometimes it's amazing. This Thursday night, something's a bit different because uh, Thursday nights in Babylon, one of the clubs on Canal Street, used to be 70s night, but then they changed it to 90s night. And considering this came out in 1999, would that actually happen? Because that's like playing Lady Gaga and calling it Tens Night. And uh, no, that's just night. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that would be... That would be if it if a show came out in 2019 and did that. But yes. I've been I've been thinking about this first nine, Louis, and I'm going to put my English literature hat on here and say that it represents the fact that the show is coming out at the end of the century and changes in the air and you can feel it coming. 2000 is just round the corner and the 1990s are about to be in the past along with all the stigma of the 90s, all the things that are out, all the new things are going to be in and now it's sort of, it's a historical period and the the theme of moving from an age where it ends in a 9 to going into a, a, a 10, a multiple of 10, I think is going to come up again. You know, that sense of we're moving forward and leaving the past behind. I think that's what Rusty Davis is trying to do with the very first sentence in Chorus Folk. Tell me I'm wrong. Uh, no, maybe, maybe you're right. Yeah. You must know a lot about Canal Street being being from Manchester. You must be an encyclopedia of Canal Street. Well, of course. Of course. Um, so being from Manchester, I did say I was quite qualified to talk about Rusty Davis, um, Davis's work, especially those set in Manchester. I have been to Canal Street. I have been to Canal Street during the day. Um, gone for a nice walk there, had a look around Manchester's gay village, where Canal Street being the heart of, and it's a it's a very nice place. But I'm a, I'm not a clubber, so I've never been to any of the clubs during the night. So I the sort of watching this for a lot of people would be a real slice of their own life. And for me, I recognise the place, but I don't recognise it in darkness. So unfortunately. I'm not qualified to talk about clubbing, so maybe I should just go home now. Maybe that's why my name isn't in the podcast. <laughs> maybe I'm not really qualified to do this. What would be hilarious is so I um so for context, I'm based in Brighton and if, if you came down to Brighton and I took you to like the main gay club revenge or something. I've never been to a club in Manchester. That's how sad I am. I've been clubbing outside of my home city but not my home city being one of the best places to go clubbing, apparently, in the, in the country apart from London. But here's the question. Does this episode inspire me to go to Canal Street tonight and let loose? That's a good thing to try and answer as, 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 we, as we watch on, yeah. So as the camera moves away and we see this, this um, sort of aerial shot of Canal Street, what do we see, Louis? What do we see? Well, we see three guys and they're basically discussing the ultimate goal of going to Canal Street, which is copping off. So Vince has not copped off. Phil has not copped off, but Stuart has copped off. And, you know, immediately we're introduced to two of our main characters, Stuart, who has a lot of sex, Vince, who has not a lot of sex, which I think is the perfect odd couple dynamic. But it really makes me think about who, as the audience, do we identify with? And maybe some other people would say, oh, yeah, I really see myself in Stuart. I'm a massive player. I get all the lads, all the ladies. But actually, already in sort of the first minute of the show, I see myself aligned with Vince. I'm so used to seeing all my friends copping off, um, getting with people whilst I'm sat lonely on my ass, 
Uh, so already, I feel that our, out of our three protagonists, I'm already identifying with one really quite strongly. Mm. I don't know about you. Yeah, no, no, I feel that, um, especially when your friends are female and they end up getting hit on by the straight guys who come to the gay club to... But that's a personal gripe that I don't think gets covered in the show at any point, so we'll move on. And then we meet... So we've met three, our three people, and Phil... Phil isn't really one of the protagonists. He's kind of just there at the moment. He's not really... The show claims to have three protagonists, Vince, Stuart, and then a mystery third man who appears a couple of seconds later, not related to the other three people. Um, It's the young Nathan, and Nathan arrives on Canal Street, and he's looking at all the clubs, and he doesn't... Re- he look, He kind of looks a little bit lost, and so he asked this sort of older man um, what clubs to go to. And then he says that every club is full of bastards, wankers and selfish little dickheads. And so already I'm not feeling particularly compelled to go out tonight, Louis. I don't know about you. I, 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 just, I just like the scene because it feels like a mini flash forward to uh, the show Cucumber, which uh, I'm a big fan of and I cannot wait for us to eventually... Uh, watch that one because this show is very much it's about younger gay men um, exactly exactly we're not we're not there yet we're not know, ready so. to talk about middle we're not ready to talk about men. older gay men yet that's no, no it's that's, too, that's 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 locked away for now too much of a of a complex issue because you have to remember i mean we haven't even you know talked about the elephant in the room this is pretty much the first time on british television that gay men are being centered in the narrative so of course we've got to go steady we've got to have young attractive men if we're gonna if we're gonna have yes, to look at them yes. with their clothes off at some point make them young and attractive also one of the first times that they were depicted in a show that made no reference to the AIDS crisis mm-hmm. no explicit no exactly and already we're just getting yeah. a slice of this is just your average thursday on canal street already and we've got no sense of anything grand or major world-defining events. It's just people copping off and hanging out in Canal Street. And speaking of which, a guy seems to be following Vince, a very muscular man. Uh, and then they're basically discussing whether this is is okay, if, if this is a thing that should happen, um, whether you might feel intimidated by the muscles or, or, but what are the ethics of of interacting with muscular men? Basically, they're not they're not they're not people. They're 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 complex philosophical questions. Or they're either complex philosophical questions, or they're bouncy castles, according to Phil. Yeah, which is a great yeah. which is a great line. I just I love yeah. Rossity Davis for just coming out with some of just the great the idea of a man is a bouncy castle. Yeah, no, I think he's brilliant. I, I love this Phil character. I hope nothing bad happens to him. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> they eventually move on, and um, we get a second narration now. Yeah, we finally sort of so far we've had Stuart as sort of this character that we're a little bit removed from, and now we get his sort of talking head to the camera. And we hear his narration of sort of the first time that he had his first sexual experience, which was with a PE teacher in school when he was 12 years old. And this is, I think, supposed to shock an audience. It shocked me as a 2023 gay man. I can imagine your general 1999 audience hearing this in the first five minutes of an episode of television going, 
oh my God, he had sex with a teacher at 12 years old. That's mad. But already it's introducing another one of the key themes that's going to dominate these early episodes of this idea of underage gay men, so boys essentially, are having sex in their sort of, they come into this environment and I think, what, what do you think, Louis, about how are we made to feel? Are we made to feel that this is wrong, that these underage men, boys, shouldn't be shouldn't be coming here and having these sexual experiences? Or, or is this sort of a safe space that they're allowed to enter? I think, I don't know, I think we're, we're almost dead to not find it wrong. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a really good way of, of putting it. And I think the... It's explored a little bit in more detail in episode two, so I might save the discussion a bit more, but I think it's really important that our first introduction to Stuart is, through his own words, is again emphasising the fact that he's been sexually active for a while. He is an an absolute massive, he loves it and he's good at it, but also we are made to think about it's completely normal in inverted commas so while Stuart has wandered off he's uh locked eyes with nathan they've passed each other and then he looks back and nathan is like no actually right now he thinks he's a man so i like this man and invites him back to uh his place he does and then we focus back on vince and we don't ever find out the name of the muscle man so in my notes i just keep referring to him as mr muscle because I think that's funny. Yeah, I've, that's that's leaked into my notes as well. So. <laughs> it's it's really it's almost scary to me the way that Mister Muscle just follows Vince home. First of all, in the car. Yes, in in his car, like it's a funeral procession or something. Oh my god, that's! I just thought, oh my god, this is a crazy stalker. I, I was I don't know when you you get followed in your car apart from that. I'm sorry. When, I, uh... when you're about to get m- murdered. That's what I thought. This, yeah. this man's going to murder Vince. Um, he doesn't murder Vince. No. He does do this really, really weird. They get out the car and Vince essentially is like, oh, not today. I've got work tomorrow. And then sort of Mr. Muscle just shuts him down and says, are we shagging or what? Yeah. And they head straight in. Yeah. And then and then we cut back. Uh, Nathan and Stuart are in Stuart's flat. Uh, Nathan, Nathan is is chatting his head off. He's just just yammering on, yap yap yap. He's talking about takeaways in the kitchen, and you've got that beautiful image of Stuart takes a bottle of Highland Spring and just drops it on his head. He's sort of, I think he's teasing Nathan. This is sort of yes. He's he's brought men home before. He has he knows the routine. He knows the ritual to get them to get them yeah. into bed. It is hilarious that he's trying to look like an advert, which is foreshadowing for his job. And pretty quickly, they start snogging. And yeah. I've got I've got a note here. It's seven minutes into the show, not just the episode, the show itself, and already we start to see some sex. Yeah, which I think is is a great is a great metaphor for hookup culture. You know, we don't we don't really need to bother with the um, the romantic story plot. No, there's none of that. We're just straight in. Yeah, and it's quite. It's directed in such a... It, it took me back. The way the camera spins around mm. them as they snog and undress, it's sort of... I don't know if it's meant to represent... This is... It's Nathan. It's a loss of his virginity and sort of... It's a whirlwind of emotions for yeah. him and it's all happening for him. There's a podcast I like, Kill James Bond. And one thing they do is that when James Bond 
meets a woman, they start what they call the pussy clock, and it's the amount of time until he has sex with that woman. And it's sort of it's it's done to kind of emphasize this idea that women are objectified and like tr- and you know sort of don't have much agency and you know it it'll only take like four minutes before they're having sex with Mr. Bond. And so I think we should maybe carry over to this show with the bussy clock <laughs> oh, uh, for 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 gay hookups because we cut very quickly um, to them in bed. And we have this fantastic, again, another fantastic line. I could I could sit here and praise every single line of dialogue, but I've since been selective. And we've got um, Stuart saying quite, you know, quite sexily, what do you like doing? And then Nathan, very naively, almost sweetly, but not sweetly, says, I like watching telly. And uh, <laughs> Stuart doesn't seem to react too much to this. He seems to be in, 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 the, in the zone and says, I mean, what do you like doing in bed? And you can tell Nathan has no clue. So he just says, oh, this is fun. And I think what what a great interaction that is. You really get a sense of Stuart knows what he's doing. And Nathan has no no clue whatsoever. And he's happy to just be led on. Certainly. And then the phone rings. Turns out that the hookup has to end abruptly because Stuart's got to go to the hospital. At that point... He- he asks Nathan what his age actually is. And it turns out that Nathan is, drumroll please, 15. Dun, dun, dun. Are we shocked? Are we shocked, viewer, listener? No. No, I don't think we are. No. But it's funny because at first he's trying to claim that, oh, well, he's at sixth form college, so it's fine, you know. But actually, no, he is He is like a is it year 10 or 11. I actually can't remember how old yeah, 15. He's, I think year 10. He, must, he wouldn't have taken his GCSEs. No, no. Um, at this point. And it's funny that you say the hookup has to end in more ways than one, because while Stuart is on the phone call, he's carrying on with his hand, um, giving Nathan the good time, shall we say. And then Nathan rather abruptly uh, finishes. Is he an online advert? Because he won't last five seconds, you know. <laughs> and so we, we shift over to Vince to find out what Vince is up to when he receives a phone call off Stuart. Yeah, so he's been talking to Muscles about nerd shit and porn. He pulls out the porn. And I have labelled this porn Chekhov's porn because it gets talked about quite a bit. And he's um, Vince is quite eager to put it on now. Um, but Mr. Muscles says that he hasn't got time. So 3am. Um, and so they haven't got time for the porn, so they decide to just get on it. But Yeah, no foreplay. Just raw play. Oh, you naughty devil. So this is Chekhov's porn. It might come back later. Who knows? Because it has it yet has not been played. And Vince gets the phone call from Stuart and finds out what's been going on. And at the same time, Mr. Muscle is completely oblivious to what's going on at the phone. So he continues to get undressed because it's time for his, his raw play. Yeah. And we see that he is not actually Mr. Muscle at all. He's wearing a fake set of muscles, which I've never seen outside of the context of amateur dramatics, which never look convincing. But apparently these ones, I don't know if these are common at all. The moment it's revealed he's um, he's not muscly, he is in fact fat, they show a shot of him playing with his belly button fluff and... I think it's interesting because sort of the show is kind of saying, oh, well, if someone sort of deceives you and turns out to be fat when they were pretending not to be, then like naturally they will also turn out to be uh, unsanitary. I do think that this would probably not be written the way it is today. You know, I'm not shot in the way it's really shot in a way that sort of that focus on the playing with the belly button 
love. So you've got this idea of this is an authentic night out. This is an authentic hookup. There would be authentic fat phobia in the gay community. But then also there's a director here shooting this in a way. They turn Vince into the victim in this scenario. As, as you said, Louis, Vince is the one that has been deceived and Mr. Muscle is the deceiver. But actually, in reality, Mr. Muscle is the one that's the victim of the fat phobia within the culture and feels forced to conceal his true body type and have to put on these fake muscles. We don't get the whole backstory. We don't know who this character really is. But I'm sat there going, there's more to, there's more to Mr. Muscle yeah. deep within. Well, that's lovely. But Vince makes an excuse so he can quickly move on to the next scene. <laughs> Yes, his mother apparently is in the hospital. His friend's mother. Oh, his friend's mother's in the hospital. Yes. That's a real, that's yeah. a go-to for Vince. He's not very, um, yeah. he's yeah. not very creative. No, but um, in episode two, when he when he makes the same excuse that time, it's his mother. But at first, it's his friend's it's mother. His friend's so mother. seems like everyone's mother is, uh, yeah, is at in risk. the hospital. Bloody hell. After Nathan convinces Stuart to let him come along. So Stuart doesn't want Vince to come and pick him up with the car because he's sort of figures out that he's finally copping off. And so he's like, no, no, it's fine. We'll get a taxi. But Vince sort of comes anywhere with the car. And through a magical coincidence, they do arrive at hospital at the exact same second. You know, you're going to have to suspend your disbelief for that one. It's the power of television. Yes. They arrive at hospital and run through the hospital. And what do we see before we cut to a break? A baby. A baby. Dun, dun, dun. So anyway, back from the break, they're trying to name the baby. They're saying, well, we weren't discussing names because obviously that's for... So it turns out actually that Stuart is a father. Uh, The mother is there, surrounded by all her friends. And, you know, they're all all clearly lesbians, ill of short hair. You know how it is. We're introduced... We've been introduced to our, our three complex... Um, gay male characters who we can already get a sense of their real personality and then we meet the gaggle of lesbians whose names well, I don't know I don't know any of their names they're just a gaggle of lesbians um, in my head the mum is called Romy right that's that's the mum's I didn't I didn't I didn't even get that I didn't even get that okay well what we do get is the baby's name at first they're like maybe Frederick and then they switch it up to Alfred because you get the Fred in there but I presume you also get an owl. And it also gives a beautiful moment in the show where Stuart asks Vince to sort of run a check on the name, which is quite a funny little moment. And then Vince, you get your first sense that Vince, well, not a first, because we've had some sort of a sense in the conversation with Mr. Muscle in Vince's flap. We get our first confirmation dive. It's canon, even. Ha! <laughs> To use, a, to use a nerd word, it's canon that, that Vince is a nerd. He's an absolute nerd. And he's like, oh, Alfred, yeah. that's Batman's butler name. He, do, he runs a whole track on the name. And he's like, yeah, that's yeah. that's a good name. And I loved Alfred's characterization in, in the Harley Quinn series. So, you know, let's go with that. And speaking of names, it turns out that Stuart forgets Nathan's name. And we get another wonderful yeah. line where the mother of the child says, ah, well, no, I don't think it's the mother, but it's one, one of the lesbians. No, it's, it's the friend who phoned Stuart because Nathan told her his name during the phone call. And so she's remembered it. But of course, Stuart hasn't. Listener, if you're confused, so am I. 
I I spent a lot of the episode getting really the names really confused me. No wonder Stuart's forgotten Nathan's name. I keep forgetting which one's Stuart and which one's Nathan. Yeah, no, I think when I made notes, especially on episode two, when I made notes, some of the characters, I had to go back. This is person's friend. This is you know Nathan's friend, and then it's like, oh no, actually her name's Donna. So so Stuart, so Stuart is also guilty of that. He forgets Nathan's name, and it turns out both Stuart and the mother of the child have both had a child on the same night. Yes. And Nathan's then put to work going to get drinks for them all from the hospital machine. Yeah, he gets snacks, he gets flowers. Um, he doesn't get those from a machine, he gets them from a guy uh, who's just in a hospital bed. And he picks them up, the guy notices, and he, he runs out the the ward he runs where away. he steals them from. Uh, and that's the end. That never comes back, you know. So that's just a fun <laughs> thing you can do in a hospital. It's a safe and legal thrill. And we get a little bit, we get a tiny bit in the hospital corridors of interaction between the gays and the lesbians. And we get sort of a little bit of characterization of some of the lesbians. Yeah, one of them is reading uh, Vince's fortune. And she's she's reading his palms. palms. So we get that you know, there's, there's a, clair, a clairvoyant lesbian, which is some... Some really powerful characterization. Thank you, Rusty Davis, for your service yeah. to the lesbian community. Thank you, RTD. And then Stuart and Vince go on the roof. We're yeah. on the roof. And they We're talk the about yes. Coronation Street because uh, Stuart jumps up and, and Vince is like, oh, if you fall off, that'll be like in a soap opera, a birth and a death in the same episode. But we're not in a soap opera, are we? So, so that doesn't happen. Rossity Davis is pointing to his history as a Coronation Street staff writer and saying... This isn't a soap opera. This isn't the normal television you're used to. This is television that is breaking boundaries right now. We're not going to fall into those things we're used to. We're telling new stories here. Or maybe it's a joke about soap operas. I don't know. I don't know. But then then they um, do a King of the World like Titanic. And fun fact, Kate Winslet's first TV role was in a kid's show written by Russell T. Davis. So another Easter egg. For all the heads out there, and by and by all the heads, I mean us. The first time I rewatched this for the podcast, I was like, I, I, I wrote down, ah, oh, this is such a beautiful, sensual moment between the friends. And they sort of, they're able to sort of hug and hold each other without it being sexualized. I'm like, oh, this is, this is male friendship at its very best. Yeah. But he hasn't copped off in six months. And so that sort of lovely friendship moment does get his blood rushing a bit and uh and then naturally Stuart just takes a piss out of him for it you know it's still a beautiful moment of we get a sense of these characters and their relationship and it's like oh it's it's, it's, it's cute they're funny <laughs> uh but to keep the viewer interested now we need to add in another provocative element to the show which is of course the mystery drugs uh Stuart has a bag of mystery drugs he offers Vince one. Vince is like, no, no thanks. And so naturally, he eats both of them because there's two in there. And he gets a bit oh, he gets a bit crazy now. Gets a bit crazy. Um, They're done with the baby. They're heading home. Vince is driving in, in Stuart's car. Stuart and Nathan are in the back. That spark that was there before the baby, it's still there. It's still there. They're, they're, they're kissing. They're, they're dirty talking. Um, Vince is like, no, I'm taking, I'm taking you home, Nathan. Nathan's like, no, I want to go with Stuart and that's exactly what happens yeah it's one of those interesting moments where I watched this episode and I think this is a point where I'm starting to think do I like Nathan because he's sort of at the very beginning of the episode he does look a little bit lost 
and now in the back of um i almost want to say it's it's like a taxi because you've got two people in the back and then vince in the front but it's not a taxi it's it's a friend driving a friend home i have a lot of things to say about nathan but i'm gonna wait for episode two so fair enough this i just just to Uh. think this this is a moment where he takes some power and says this is something i'm I'm doing. I, I'm not going to tell you where I live. I'm not going to let you take me home. I'm going home with Stuart. And so we end up at the end of the episode in the final act. We end up with more sex. So Stuart and Nathan, it's gone deeper, you know, their feelings for each other and the sex itself. This is where this episode does, because as we said earlier, there are lots of cuts in this episode. And this is a moment where we have two scenes being juxtaposed and cut really effectively because we've got Stuart and Nathan getting it on big time and then we get vince home all alone and we can kind of tell that he's a bit frustrated he's been out he thought he was going to cop off he couldn't and so he goes to his bookshelf and this is where chekhov's porn comes in because he goes to bookshelf gets a dvd or a vhs i can't tell it is a vhs this time it's a vhs is a vhs but faithful listener, I didn't know that the first time. And I was like, ah, he must be getting the porn from earlier. He sort of, he takes his top off. He's clearly like in the mood for something raucous. And then we get this beautiful shot of his fish tank, a very suggestive shot. And we notice in the bottom of his fish tank, he's got a little Dalek. And then it's to, it's revealed that it's not the porn from earlier at all. It's an episode of Doctor Who. Yes. Classic Tom Baker action but not bad action. I mean, like action as an action film. And we discover that this is Vince's life. And on this podcast, we're not going to talk about Doctor Who, but you can, we're going to have to say something about Doctor Who here now. The thing we have to say about Doctor Who is that Russell T. Davis really likes Doctor Who and has always oh, really yeah, liked yeah, Doctor yeah. Who. I think that's what we have to say about and it. And the show is groundbreaking in not only uh, depicting a story about lgbt characters for the very first time but also depicting doctor who fans slash science fiction fans slash just nerd culture in general in such a way that isn't virgins living in their mum's basement this is vince who he has a um, he has a job he has friends um okay he's not copying off it's been six months since he's had his last shag as he says he is out there he is doing things he's not a total loser but he is mad about doctor who and i think this sort of it marks russell t davis trying to say you know there are other type of fanboys out there you know it's all this this media and this hate towards them needs to stop and i think vince is a great character for that and we really get a sense in this episode that this is the character that i i've i've absolutely fallen in love with vince at this point i love him at this point in the episode yeah so, cut to the next morning, and Stuart's car, parked at Vince's place, is getting just attacked by two prepubescent boys. And then uh, Vince goes out to try and get it to stop, and they say, we see you and call them a bunch of slurs. They start them young. They start them young on the old homophobia. They really do, and it's, it's, it's important that we've talked about the authenticity of this Thursday. We've had the sex, we've had the drugs, we've had the rock and roll, we've had the having a baby with a lesbian, uh, and now you fuck around, you find out. And Vince didn't even fuck around. That's a, that's, a, that's a truly tragic part. No. Poor Vince. You just, oh, my heart just goes out to him. He suffers so much, bless him. Yeah. Mean, meanwhile, um, over in uh, the Stewart household, we have him wake up, and he is hungover to the extreme i mean what what do you even call it after um 
you've had. Now, what does it turn out he's had? He's not had whatever he thought he was having. It wasn't E. It was dog worming tablets. He is. Is it? Is it a hangover from dog worming tablets? I guess so. I mean, the deworming industry, they know what their secondary target audience is, and it is people who want to, for one reason or another, freak out. Freak out and draw maps on the wall of every place they've ever had sex. Yes. Um, it's fun. This It seems really funny because Stuart seems really prepared for a hangover. He goes straight to his fridge freezer and pulls out some lovely, cool, cold spoons that he puts on his eyes and has this great image of him putting the spoons in his eyes and it's only a minute or so later that he remembers that he's got a baby yeah you you get this you get this crazy sense of why is this man why is this man a father why is this man agreed to father a child with someone Stuart also uh in addition to drawing on the walls which will have to get repainted he also notices that he built a big a big sculpture of a millennium dome and as someone born in the year 2000 i would love to get some millennium dome myself (laughs) i mean and meanwhile nathan is also there Stuart knows at this point um that he's slept with a minor twice not just once twice nathan goes and has a shower and then Stuart clearly decides that he wants to have a shower but he doesn't want to wait for nathan to get out of the shower probably because nathan's you know young teenage boy takes forever so you know what he decides to get right in there with him and you know if he's in the shower with nathan they might as well try it on for a third time why the hell not whilst you're at it so you know then it's time to go to school it's time to go to work and so vince picks up Stuart and Nathan so that they can go and drop Nathan off at school. It's like two dads taking their little boy to school, except it's not like that at all. No. So this is my favourite scene of the episode. I think this is the episode that sets out the mission statement for the whole show. Stuart's like, you know, I don't need to drop him off at the gates. I can drive right up to the front door. And as the car turns around, we see that those kids also spray-painted the word queers on the car nathan's very embarrassed everyone's making fun of him his friend is like where have you been and he's like piss off and the person who's absolutely not embarrassed is Stuart. Stuart and well vince is a bit more quiet but Stuart is the exact opposite of embarrassed yeah and he tells one of the lads that sort of is taking the piss out of nathan and out of Stuart and vince i'll give you a good fuck you tight little virgin so then uh nathan is like can i see you again you know, I could meet you tonight. Stuart is is brushing him off, saying, well, tonight I could be anywhere. I could be in Ipswich. You know, have you ever been to Ipswich? No, I've never been to Ipswich. Me neither. Exactly. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so he's like, well, when can I see you? Or will I see you even? And Stuart is like, you'll see me all right. You can't miss me. You know, this show, Queer as Folk, on your TV... You can't miss it. Woohoo! Uh, they were like, we, we're shutting down the power grid. This is mandatory viewing for, for, for the public of 1999. Interestingly, so interestingly, these, these confessionals, uh, the sort of big brother looking confessionals that were in the first half of the episode, they actually don't come back until this final moment where Nathan, about Stuart, says six months later, he was begging me to stay. Which I'm not entirely sure actually happens, but I haven't seen the show in a while, so maybe it does. I'm sure we'll get to that. After that, we get the next time trailer. But the great thing about the way this podcast is formatted is that you don't need a trailer for next time. You just need to wait two seconds while we cut to some music and then cut back for for no good reason. (laughs) 
And we're back. In audience time, a week has passed. In TV show time, not even an hour has passed. And in podcast time, only a few seconds have passed because we start this second episode right where we left off. Stuart's at work, Vince is at work, Nathan's at school. Let's go. So we have again one of these crazy cut sequences um, where we see, instead of now these two separate scenarios, we see these three different characters in their three very different locations. Uh, So Vince uh, works at a supermarket. I presume he's sort of, He's middle management level, telling people what to do. Not at the bottom, not at the top. Um, Stuart works in an office and it's sort of, it's like a marketing office, I believe. Yeah, yeah. And Nathan is in school and Stuart, Stuart is quite visibly out. When someone catches his eye, he sticks on a a red ribbon as a indicator that he is, he is an ally. No, wait, he's an actual gay. Well, it's because the red ribbon, because we, oh yes, we said about, about the previous episode that sort of HIV and AIDS isn't a predominant part of the story, but it, it exists in its in very sort of its small ways. Uh, so one, there's sort of two nods to it in this episode. The first nod here being obviously the red ribbon um, represents support for the um, HIV AIDS crisis. Um, and so that's sort of symbolizing that, that Stuart has that connection to um, the gay community by association. What's really interesting in these three very different environments with these three rather quite different men, they're all doing the same thing, though. Did you notice what they were all doing, though? No, tell me. They were all looking at bums. Oh, right. Yes, of course. They all like to check out a lovely man's bottom. No, I notice in, in Russell's stuff, like, you know, you see it and it's a sin, but it's always the bottom that people seem to, to focus on. We see you, Russell in, T. In Davis. The shows. We see you, Russell yeah. T. Davis. Now, of course, there's various, sort of the boy that Nathan's staring at sort of wanders away. It turns out that the, the man that Vince is staring at is, in fact, a man in a relationship with another man who's so sort of, oh, he's not single, da 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 But, um... Stuart gets a bit more, bit more luck with the man that he finds. But also, when one of Vince's co-workers notices the, the the two guys, she does the your palm is flat and then you flap it down. Is there a word for that? I've heard it referred to as the garage door. The garage door. So she does a garage door, bends her legs a bit, and it's another reminder that this isn't the previous episode where we're in canal street we're in this gay bubble we're in the real world here now just like we were at the end of the previous episode yes homophobia is everywhere in its like very unsubtle ways and here and it's a little it's slightly more subtle and also like vince vince kind of goes along with a joke he laughs at it and then when the couple notice her and vince both laughing at that thing i i guess vince has has absolutely no trouble passing a straight then it kind of helps when you're played by a straight actor i do think yeah yeah no yeah that is uh that does help but no I, it's sort of Stuart has far more luck um and there's a great shot where where after he puts that red ribbon on we see this other man fiddling with his um wedding ring and then we find out it's really crazy um that Stuart has a woman in the chair, so to speak, who sort of gives him the lowdown on who this other fella is um, and telling him, oh, he's got a wife and kids. And Stuart's like, oh, I don't really care. And he goes off and uh, has a good time in the bathroom. The thingy goes from vacant to engaged. We love to see it. 
it's a fancy looking bathroom it's it's that y2k futurism bathroom but Stuart Stuart has a good job i mean any job is a good job that involves you looking at projections of men without their tops off with lovely six packs yes but he has a particularly good job he works in advertising i think i just wrote about this bit um he called me pink the way I pound. So, you know, <laughs> uh, it's it is interesting that actually the, the pink pound does get a shout out. You know, we run shit. Well, I mean, some some of us run shit. Some of us, some of us don't run shit. It's a lot like actual society. It's just more of a, a, a synecdoche of a, a microcosm, whichever word's more appropriate. I don't know. I didn't do English A-level. And I don't remember my English A-level. But Zach, you speak English. How can you not remember oh, it? You got me there. You got me there. I'm actually using a very complex form of Google Translate over here. Speaking of A-levels, we go back to our boy who doesn't, who is too young to have done his A-levels or his GCSEs, Nathan. Because see, I keep forgetting people's names. It's uh, terrible. It's terrible. It's all, they've all got basic white boy names in this show. Sorry. Cut that bit out. Um, over, we go back to Nathan, who is in, I want to call it a playground, but you don't have a playground when you're 15. He's clearly he's clearly on his lunch break no he's definitely on his lunch break because donna is um talking about how she can save money by not buying certain things i think it's like a snickers bar at lunchtime before we talk about this moment anymore i just want to give a shout out to the costume designer because donna is wearing the biggest shirt i have ever seen known to mankind it is generally it looks like she's wearing a full white dress because her shirt is completely untucked and it goes beyond her knees and you sort of see her running a- across the screen towards Nathan. And she's just like this big white blob with a shirt sort of flowing in the wind coming towards Nathan. It just sort of, it's, it's, it was a crazy moment for me. I don't know if that distracted you, Louis. Uh, no, no, that, that didn't distract me. No, so there we are. We go back to Donna with the largest shirt ever. And she comes up to Nathan, and Nathan is off staring at the rugby lads. Yeah. While Donna is is gossiping about girls who are, are slighting her or whatever, Nathan sort of has the moment of that I often have, which is realising, oh, wait, I'm not acting gay enough right now. Uh, and so he immediately goes into, like, I would have sex with all of the boys that we can see. And Donna's like, what are you on about? He is quite annoying, and I think he's supposed to be. Like, he's supposed to be... <laughs> yes, I agree, I agree. He's he's really trying to make being gay his personality. He, like, really aggressively, because Donna's gossip is about, yeah, the girls who are slighting her, and then also, you know, who fancies who, who might have kissed who, which is really quite light teenage romance stuff. And then the stuff that Nathan brings into it is, like, I'd do him. You know, I'd, I'd quite violently have sex with this person. Yeah. It's like, whoa, bro. Especially since you would be not on top. You know, he would be the one doing it quite violently to you. Let's yeah, be honest exactly. here. Uh, well, let's not let's not presume things. Let's not presume things. Let's no. You're right. Let's not presume. Although I'm just going off of what happened in episode I was one. Say, go off the evidence of episode one. But then we get this. We get this quite interesting insight from Nathan because he claims that Stuart said he loved him. And I, the first time he says this, I'm quite sceptical. I'm like, no, you're just, you're just making that up, Nathan. You're an annoying little twat and you're making it up. Yeah. But then he says, exactly he must thought. have just been saying it whilst he was off his face. No, yes. He knows that he was, he knows that Stuart was on drugs. He knows he was saying whatever, but he says that even though he was off his tits in the moment when he said, I love you, he did generally love me. He's like, well, he, he loved me for those like two seconds or whatever. And it, it and it seems that, 
Nathan therefore wants to chase those two seconds, which is just yeah. I don't think he's incapable un- of reading the, a room or a situation. I think he just refuses not to. He's just like I don't. I don't want to to acknowledge that. I want things to happen the way that I want. And so that sticks with him. But speaking of gossip, we get some gossip now at uh, Vince's workplace. It seems that gossip is an inescapable fact of reality because uh, Vince's co-worker, who we saw earlier, she's gone from um, making fun of random gay people to making fun of the new the new girl who started... What does she say about her? Oh, I don't remember. I sort of... I shut out the negativity in my life, Louis. No, you're right. We we can both uh, hold the moral high ground for that. So we, we can't remember what she was gossiping, but we know she was doing it. And, and Vince steps in and is like, well, actually, I think she's nice. I think she's fine. Uh, and then she's like, oh, that's great, because she fancies you. Uh-oh. Uh, <laughs> now we enter into a sort of Shakespearean farce, you know. And she tells Vince that he's going to be at the pub after work. There's no you should it's an it's an it's a thorough command vince you shall be at the pub you shall buy her a drink you shall talk to her yes she's she's meat cuting him whether he likes it or not which is how all meat cutes work just by by the nature of their definition everyone's got a co-worker that is actually pulling the strings yeah meanwhile we get a we get a sort of we're now introduced to a random woman in a bedroom who finds a load of gay porn and you go okay um context and it turns out it's nathan's mum it's nathan's mum discovering his collection and it's kind of yeah it's an odd moment because she's not thoroughly disgusted i don't think she's got a bit of a she's got a bit of a stern face on her but she sort of she peruses it for quite a while she looks at some of the pictures putting his laundry away in his cupboard whilst he's eating dinner with donna yeah um, and she, she takes a look at some of those pictures and then goes and asks nathan and donna what's up and nathan has told his mum that he's off to stay at donna's and she's like well you've been staying there a lot recently donna's mother also start you know charging rent this is also where we finally learned donna's name you know yes exactly i think <laughs> we should but the thing is we should have remembered that because he loves the name donna very evidently yes of course everyone should have a best friend called donna yeah nathan and donna they're straight off and as it turns out they're not actually going to donna's they're just going to a bus stop for like a weird scene where once again yammering on to donna about how amazing he is and how like he's actually going out there and getting people everyone else is just sitting around talking about getting people it's like what are you one of those like bro influencers who's gonna tell you how to grab life by the balls and you know take advantage of crypto or something and this man doesn't know bus etiquette 101 because he's literally it's a very iconic scene in the show but he literally he gets on the bus and the bus starts driving away and he's shouting at donna whilst he's still on the bus going i'm doing it i'm doing it and it's like bro there are other people on the bus they don't need to know this they do not need to yeah and also who gets changed at a bus stop i'm sorry no it is a wild scene it is a wild scene i'm i think you know i'm and the thing is with i I heard that manchester's getting greater fare integration now that's just going to open the door for even more seamless you know jumping on a bus while yelling at your friend you know it's going to become an epidemic if i'm on the b network if i'm on the b network and anyone screams i'm doing it I'm sorry, I'm going to slap them. <laughs> and if anyone sees me on the B network saying I'm doing it, then please, this is my, I'm begging you, please put me in my place. I'm going to resist every urge in my body to go off on a, on a tangent about integrated uh, fare systems because a lot of places, 
you have to get a, a ticket for each bus you're getting on, which is really annoying when the bus is all only going to the centre. And so it means that like the cost of going anywhere that isn't the centre is doubled and the time investment is also doubled. But I'm going to not talk about that now, of what makes a good sort of polycentric bus network with fair integration. I'm not going to talk about all the advantages of that because we need to go to Canal Street. If you are interested, you can subscribe to Louis's other podcast, Fair Integration 101, available yes. in all streaming services. Yes. Well, actually, well, before, before that... We have to forget. We're not going to Canal Street. We've got to... we, di- we didn't even talk about the pub, yeah. The pub. The pub. I love Vince, in, Vince going to the pub, Vince being on the phone to Stuart and sort of narrating his sort of trip to the pub. And he's like, it's a, it's a quote-unquote, a straight pub. Because um, obviously Canal Street is home to the gay clubs and pubs. Yes. And, it's I, it, the one thing. The one thing that broke me from the immersion. Maybe it's a '90s thing, but I've been to a straight pub loads of times. I go to straight pubs with my straight friends. Is it that Vincent Stewart don't have any straight friends, straight girlfriends? You know that take them to the to the straight pub. Evidently not, because Vince looks like he's landed on an alien planet. No, yeah, it is funny. It is. It is a funny moment. It's. I'm like, have you, have you really never just been there with like family or something? Like, it's just. It's just the place you go where you get the drink, you know. Well, evidently Vince hasn't um, been. Or maybe maybe the rest of Manchester is just particularly straight and that's the issue, I, I don't know. Well, I think Vince probably has never been to a straight pub with his family because as we find out, his mother loves to go to a gay club. <laughs> so when, when Vince enters, he's like talking about it with a fake sense of wonder as if as if he's a straight guy entering a gay club for the first time he's like wow the people are really out here just going hard at the slot machines you know they're not having sex in the loos i mean can you imagine yes the virgin toilets but then you know he finds his co-workers the meet cute is set up you know that um, him and the new girl go to the counter to get drinks and that's where they start talking about about media so vince is like well you know i am a nerd it's funny because vince can pass as straight he cannot pass as anything but a nerd no exactly you know it's people someone some random guy identifies him as like does like the star trek references and he's like that's not quite the show i like you know uh and then but to be honest that guy then later on says like exterminate i think uh, so he does redeem himself in terms of nerd knowledge. Well, I mean, everybody, it's a British staple. Everybody knows that Exterminate belongs to Doctor Who. I don't know. Would you, uh, would you be offended? I don't know. Are you a Trekkie at all, Louis? Oh, no. Are you? I Well, I discovered Star Trek a month ago. So I'm I'm getting there. So I, I kind of get it now. So, But I think a year ago, if someone had called me a Star Trek fan, I probably would have been offended. And you can tell Vince is trying pretty hard because he's just like, oh, no, it's the wrong show. And then he says he's into Doctor Who and he says he says the words for the very first time. And it's like, ooh, ooh the, 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 the program got a name drop. Ooh, it's not it's not just a random episode he watches at the end of episode one. And then we find out that the new girl, the girl that he's uh, being forced into this meet cute, yeah. really loves Coronation Street. But it's funny because Vince is saying that basically because this is something that actually happened uh, in the 80s, they moved Doctor Who against Coronation Street because Michael Grade wanted to get it cancelled, the you know, director of BBC or whatever. Basically, he was the guy who, who made it his mission to get B- Doctor Who cancelled. And so he put, it, he put it on at the same time as Coronation Street. And so Vince would have to sort of tape one, watch the other live, you know. Because of that, 
there the 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 conversation quite naturally shifts on to coronation street i think it's funny because you do get that in converse it is like an actual conversation yeah. where you're trying to talk about something you like and then you mention something that you know y- y- that is is relevant but then someone fixate on that and it's like the the conversation has been locked in to to, to change to talking about coronation street but vince doesn't have a problem with it at all he seems to um yeah really be enjoying it no yes i mean uh, uh, um when he's out of the pub he does say that um i met you know my parallel universe future wife or something like which is a really it's a sweet little it's a really sweet moment mm. i think yeah it's just a shame that she's gonna have a heart broken when she must eventually find out yeah it's such a shame that she's gonna have a heart broken in quite a dramatic fashion and call him a puff but you know we're not there yet <laughs> for now we can just enjoy the moment and um, because essentially he has to leave because he gets a phone call from uh Stuart and it turns out his friend's mother's in the hospital or is it his mother and that's in the hospital? Uh, this time it's his mother. This time it's just his mother. These mother's. bloody mothers in the hospital. This, no, this is good. This means that if anyone like fact checks his stories, he can just say that a lot of people's mother and uh, mothers are in hospital. It's never the same mother twice. It's good thinking. Because Stuart is in a foul mood and wants to go out for a drink. Why is he in a foul mood, Louis? Uh, because he has been meeting with his baby mama and all her lesbian friends. And they they want him to sign kind of a life insurance thing because already he's sort of giving the money to support the baby. But now they want him to sign a thing that basically means that, you know, uh, the money will will go there if he dies. And he's like, you think I'm going to die? What do you want me to die of? But like, it's sort of... It's, I'm not sure if they're insinuating HIV or if he's just picking it up by himself. I think they are because they make a reference to him being tested nine months ago. There's definitely, Mm. you feel the shadow of AIDS in that moment. Yeah. Uh, Which I think is a, maybe a little annoying because actually in the AIDS crisis, you know, lesbians were helping out in all the medical centers, you know, with all the community organizing. And they, the reason that the L comes before G in LGBT is because, of the amazing work that so many lesbians did uh, during a crisis to support the community as a whole. And it is a bit of a shame that the first mention of of AIDS is some lesbians going, well, you know, you might get it, but, you know, just if you do, just sort of, they they should not be the ones bringing it up, I think. I think it should be a straight character bringing it up. Yeah, it's, it's the one good line that one of the lesbians does get that I'm like, oh, good for you, girl is when Stuart asks if the contract he's about to sign has been checked over by a solicitor. And one of them is like, oh, yes, 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 I have checked it over. And it's like, good. But like, he's like, is he a good solicitor? And then one of them says, yes, I'm good. Like, yeah. It's like, you you go, go. That is good. But the one thing I do wonder is like, should he have his own solicitor that, uh, that sort of checks it according to his interests? And then the contractors have been checked according to their interests. But what I'm saying is, is it is it actually quite justified for him to get a second opinion? I think it probably is, but I think he's probably feeling quite ganged up on in that room right there. Yes. Which is why, yeah. I mean, for, love RTD, but again, he's not been kind to this gang, this gaggle of lesbians. No, no. I mean, I think they're, they're kind of quirky in the first episode, but it is... The shame that, like, sort of, they are more antagonistic this time. They're quite scary. But it is interesting because, like, 
actually, you know, if you're not a fan of Stuart, which, you know, I'm sure there's there's reason to, to not be a fan of him, you know, it is it is kind of nice to see that while normally he's the big man, he's like, he's the main character syndrome. When he's in this house, his balls are in a vice. They have control. They're running the show. They're not taking his bullshit. And only when he's left the building can he bang on the steering wheel. Uh, but while he's in their house, he is on his best behavior, which I think is quite funny. And so in a foul mood, he's phoned Vince up. Vince has left the uh, pub and they drive off to Canal Street. The clock had very clearly been ticking throughout the episode. When are we going to get back to Canal Street? Yes, here we are, Canal Street. We end up with Stuart, Vince and Phil, our original trio from the very beginning of episode one. And Stuart is still complaining about the lesbians in the club. I nearly called them the lesbians. What's a lesbian? The lesbians. The new lesbians. There's a second gang of lesbians, the new lesbians. There's a second, oh gosh. When Nathan wanders into the club, um, looking around, and he's back being, we've just seen before the previous ad break, that really annoying, overly confident Nathan who's screaming on the bus, um, who deserves a good slap. And then he comes into the club, and again, it's that sort of, that quite lost, quite meek. He's a little bit shy. Exactly. He's a, he's a, he's a small little baby. But what is hilarious is that Stuart is still complaining about the lesbians when he's in the club, like not just in the car. And as he's complaining, uh, Vince spots Nathan. Stuart thinks my day, my day just got worse. Their paths are crossing again. And he comes over and then they, they have this, there's sort of a cabaret going on at the same time. Yeah. Well, no, it's funny. Before that, he offers to get drinks and as he walks to the bar, he tries to, you know, escape. Oh yes, he he just completely walks out. Vince runs out and is like, no, 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 you're, you're coming back in, you're coming back, which is a hilarious he's, moment. Uh, and then we get to the cabaret. Yes, he's, he's, it's a literal moment of, you fucked around, now you've got to find out. The cabaret is, 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 it's such a fun little moment, I don't know what's going on. And then you get this random woman sort of very enthusiastically doing get a ple- sort of singing along. And they're sort of heckling her and they're like, what's she doing here? And then, like, Nathan, in the most aggressive way possible, just calls her, like, enablist her multiple times. And they say, no, that's Vince's mom. And he's like, yeah, imagine that would be hilarious. But actually, I'm not even going to repeat this, because it's, no, it's, nice. it's quite a bad one. <laughs> it's just like, f- fucking hell, Nathan. <laughs> Where'd this come from, you know? Well, we know, we know where it's come from. It's the same Nathan that's been screaming on public transport. Yeah. Maybe he gets it from school, you know, maybe that's a pecking order. He's not quite from the bottom because uh, while he's getting called a queer, you know, someone else is getting called something even worse. Yeah. And only when she, like, shouts out to Vince and is like, hi, Vince, then he realises, oh, my God, that is actually his mum. And then Stuart is like, just be careful. He's- we get our quieter Nathan again. Um, which is the which is how I I like I prefer my Nathan's quieter yes. and let, far less annoying. I like a quiet Nathan. And then we get some interesting conversations. Um, they're not in the club dancing around. They're having some drinks and they're, they're kind of chatting. And we find out that Vince and Stuart had a sexual experience as teenagers together. But they were interrupted by Vince's mum, you know, and that's that's as, that's the end of it. Kind of that's as far as it ever went. It's all based around a picture of Barry Sheen in the Radio Times. Yeah. And we get a very powerful statement from uh, Vince that it can't possibly count because it's not sex if you don't finish. <laughs> so technically, last episode, 
we said that we had sex seven minutes in, but for Stuart, evidently, that clearly didn't count. Yeah, took a bit longer, yeah. And we also get some uh, another fascinating conversation, which comes back to my thesis about the very first line of the very first episode. We find out that in the deep psyche of, of Stuart, this highly complex character that we've been seeing for the last episode and a half, he's 29. And like, there's clearly some fear about turning 30. Yeah. But it's funny because Vince is also 29 because, you know, they were in the same year at school, but he doesn't count. Stuart is clearly in all of this chat. He's had a bad day. Going out drinking is not that made his day any better. It's only made his worse. So he leaves again. And this time he actually gets away. And he, he goes home to get on a gay sex chat room. Phil also runs off so that he doesn't have to look after Nathan because now, you know, Vince is stuck with Nathan. He's quite literally holding the baby. But not the baby, baby. Yeah. Nathan. And that's the end of uh, Phil we see for this episode. But uh, I'm sure we'll come back for many more adventures with the, with the gang. Then uh, Vince. So, you know, so immediately Vince has moved on because he's like, he's looking for sex online. This is another thing you can do now. It's great. It's great. This show does also act like a sort of encyclopedia of just all the different ways you can be gay. It's like now we have computers. We're truly in, in the 21st century, you know. And you can go to your favourite website, Gay Manchester Sex, no spaces, no caps. It's to the point, you know. Oh, you know what you want. You know what you're getting. Although, by, by the sounds of it, it's not, it's not having gay sex in Manchester. It's having sex in Gay Manchester. If you were a straight person who was, who was in Gay Manchester because the rents were cheaper, you could, you could also use a website, you know. But you could also then, you could also argue that it's, um, you're, not, you're having Manchester sex that's gay. Because obviously Manchester sex is very, as, as a mank, I can tell you very, very proudly that Manchester sex is a whole different ball game to, say, London mm. sex. Yeah, you sort of lie on each other like perpendicular at 90 degrees. It's, uh, it's wild. We won't go into details. You, you, know, you don't want to go into details. It's very interesting watching this in 2023 because obviously a 1999 computer, a 1999 operating system looks very alien to us actually no you know what they should have called the the, the website what mlm chester oh my gosh uh, uh, funny 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 um it's an alien computer to me i mean obviously i do vaguely remember when computers did look like that but nowadays we obviously don't have computers we don't have game manchester sex the website but we do of course have the same systems obviously people can get grinder on their smartphones and this sort of side of um, gay hookup culture does still exist very firmly and so it's really interesting that the show still resonates i mean maybe that's because uh, gay culture has very much stayed the same it just manages to keep up with the technology the latest tech um, but it's interesting it does it gets that slice of life in there yeah absolutely so while he's off you know uh vince and nathan are having a uh, heart to heart vince is trying to let down nathan gently He's saying, you know, the thing about Stuart is he is he is a cunt, and you just have to you just have to acknowledge that fact and move on. And Nathan is like, why are you following him around then? Because he's a cunt, and it's like, okay, well, there we go. Okay, good. You're both in agreement that that Stuart's a cunt, but obviously you're both not quite ready to stop falling around, are you? You know, it's it's the kettle calling the water pot black pot black yeah i don't cook enough i just stick things in the right way i'm sorry (laughs) because vince says to nathan who he's not he's not your boyfriend he doesn't do boyfriends he's never had a boyfriend and that's interesting 
it kind of shocked me that this 29-year-old man who is attractive, attracted to other people, very successful um, in sex, has never had um, a meaningful long-term relationship. Yeah, no, that is interesting. Also, I mean, were people open at this point? Like, did open relationships happen at this point in time what did did people come up with the idea of what if you had a boyfriend but you just also did hookups still anyway and you were both fine with it because of the difference between romance and sex and all that you know had they made that discovery had they unearthed the uh the the printing press of of gay relationships which is being open you know um i just googled that whilst you were talking and it seems i think it probably did google is immediately telling me that it first um originated in a book called open marriage first published in 1972 so i think by 1999 it definitely had the concept of being open maybe i'm wrong i'm not a queer historian maybe if there are any queer historians listening please email us and let us know yeah if there are any open queers as well probably unlikely to know more than us but um you know still write in so Stuart is 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 has has found a guy on on the website called good fuck with with just uh no c f u k you know which to the point. makes it more visceral yeah it's a really visceral kind of fuck with no c you know yeah um and what the i love the little detail of you know if you're gonna if you're gonna have sex with a stranger online, obviously you always need to see a picture, and we get the lovely image of Stuart sat at his computer waiting for the image to download, um, sort of pixel by pixel. Yes, great fun. And Love what, that. The, the interesting thing is he responds to, he, with his address and tells the guy to come over before the man's um, lower levels have been released. He sort of he sees the chest and is like, "Yep, that's good enough for me." But he doesn't get below the the waistline, which I think is really interesting. If it if it were me in that scenario, if I if I was Stuart in that scenario, I would have waited a couple more seconds before uh, before giving away my home address just to check that you know the goods were good enough. But clearly, he's into his chest. So respect. yes, there's the ring at the door, and I knew at this point after Vince had put um Na- put Nathan in a taxi and also paid for nathan's taxi what a sweetheart vince is that i knew then that the knock on the door would not be good fuck it would be uh, nathan so actually it makes me dislike you gotta stop sticking 15 year olds in taxis it's like kids can't drive and that's not just because they're too young it's also because of where they would drive to if they could (laughs) drive so giving them a taxi is like sort of granting them temporary driving status like it's like giving like sort of way too much power than they have a responsibility to handle you know you don't just give a kid a taxi okay you you tell the taxi driver where they're taking the kid and you don't let the kid speak but of course vince doesn't basic vince doesn't know where nathan lives because he refused to tell him in the previous episode true true the continuity works it makes sense woohoo true in that case he should have just seen him to a bus or something you know oh no but then but then we'd have Nathan screaming on more buses. <laughs> okay, this was um, the best possible I've outcome. We're sticking that. him in a taxi. That's fine. All the characters have acted logically to the best of their ability in this episode, which means that you don't have to suspend your disbelief too much when watching it. It's a good show. And we drive forward with the drama because we have Nathan stood outside of Stuart's door. Um, and Stu- and Stuart's telling him to go away. I can't I, I, I can't do this right now. Uh, bear in mind he's topless and sort of ready to sort of get it going with good fuck. When who appears but good good fuck himself, also known as Colin. Colin. And finally, we have a hookup with a name. Woohoo! Yeah, Nathan uh, feels a bit betrayed. Nathan is is getting. There's a thing. It's like you've already been told that this guy is a cunt. 
you took on the occupational risk when you when you went back to his flat. So he leaves, and Colin, the voice of uh, Stuart's conscience, clearly is like, "You're just going to let him just wander out onto the street." And so he's like, oh, "Okay, you know, here's the flat, freshen up. I'll be back in a minute." And so he goes down and gets Nathan a cab, which is it's a really interesting moment to have Colin who you're not expecting him to say that to basically call Stuart out because I was very much at this point being incredibly pissed off by Nathan kind of getting behind the idea that Stuart is a is a moody cunt at this point um to then have Colin say actually you're in the wrong go and do the right thing is a bit of a shock really it made me think and go, okay, who's in the right, who's in the wrong here? I mean, I think, you know, Nathan doesn't have to be in the right for the the duty of care that you... Oh, of course, of um, course. ...would extend to any 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 child. But what he does do is he makes the same mistake that Vince does and he just gives a child a taxi. Yeah. And doesn't tell the taxi where to go to. Well, this is the thing, is is now the taxi has to go somewhere else, so the problem is kind of, is, is kind of averted now. This was a necessary step... In, in sending Nathan home, he has to go somewhere that isn't Stuart's and that, that kind of solves it. And so he presumably goes back to Donna's and, you know. Yes. What would, be, what would be a really interesting feature is trying to understand how much Vince and Stuart between them have paid for Nathan's transport in this show because they've already driven him to school the previous day. So that's obviously fuel. And then we've had, fuel cost, we've yeah. had Vince pay for a taxi and now we've got Stuart paying for a taxi on his account. So clearly they must be... I mean, racking up the uh, the taxi bills here. Yeah. After um, Nathan's left, Stuart feels a bit bummed. It has to kind of let Colin down, who's already, like, getting ready to go, because he's come over. You know, he's travelled. That's some more transport costs, clearly. But also, actually, we do get a little sort of um, epilogue of, of Vince's story. Him and his mum are back home, and we find out they have a lodger... What do you think of Vince's mum then? <laughs> she's a, she's a bit of an icon. She is. A, I mean, RTD yeah. writes mothers who are literally mothering all the time. Um, and mm, yeah, I was, I was for better or worse. I'm like, she's is she making Christmas crackers in this. She's sort of rolling up Christmas crackers. She's stolen one of the bits of jewelry to wear around her neck. She's a bit of an icon. I wasn't quite sure that I don't, is there any sexual tension between her and the lodger? I don't know. I mean, if there is, you know. It's the kind of sexual tension that you can't really pick up on as a gay man <laughs> writing two straight people. Or as a gay man watching another gay man write two straight people, let's say. Um, because it is funny how the lodger wants to move his plants into Vince's childhood bedroom. So it's all it's all a bit of a bizarre, very sort of mundane scenario that we've got going on here. And so Vince and his mother have this sort of sweet heart to heart moment where she tells him if there's anything for the um for the car boot sale put it on the landing yeah you know sort of our beautiful moment and then vince finds the photo that him and Stuart once um whacked one out to many yes. years before yes a beautiful beautiful tender moments yeah Be- beautiful to wrap up that storyline sort of yeah but after after a few moments um Stuart, you know ha- does a bit of soul searching and realizes that at his at his core, he is a horny man, and a little bit of a little bit of character drama isn't going to stop him from, you know, absolutely ravishing this this computer man who has come to his door. And so we end the episode with him sort of like leaping, preparing to sort of belly, leaping belly flop 
on Colin, which, you know, Colin's probably going to be like, ah, what the hell? And then Stuart's like, uh, sex? And he's like, fine. That's that's what I imagine happens, but because- we can't see that because we just get a freeze frame and a cut to black and a next time trailer, so. It is incredible. I can't imagine someone leaping on, like, literally jumping with force on top of me would be sexy. But, you know... Stuart's a, Stuart's a mad wild lad and obviously RTD. Maybe RTD was writing from experience there. Maybe, maybe. But our, and our beautiful Next Time trailer obviously says that we're going to get a lot more of the same, a lot more sex, drugs and rock and roll um, in the next episode of Queer Yes. Yes. Um, can I take a moment here to discuss something that I forgot to talk about when we were talking about episode one, but can also talk about now with episode two? Oh, yeah. Is, oh, yeah. Is the t- Let's go. Is the, t- the titles of these episodes... Now, we were discussing before that we are watching these on um, Channel 4's on-demand streaming service called Channel 4. And they don't actually tell you what the titles are. I had to Google what the original titles of each of these episodes are. And as we mentioned earlier, episode one is called Thursday. And we sort of got the sense that that's because the, the episode is literally just a thurs- one Thursday night out. It's just a, another Thursday. It's not really got too much of a a compelling world ending plot drama. It's just sort of people on the night out, these characters meeting a baby's born. Um, but my kind of my gripe with the title of episode one, if it's taking place at the first time we have a mention of the time is it's nearly 2am. So does that mean that this is a Wednesday night and a Thursday morning or a Thursday night and a Friday morning? Because if it's the latter of the two, no second of this episode takes place on a Thursday. It's all technically a Friday. Yeah, that's right. Now, what do you think about that? Uh, I think to solve problems like this of like, in our mind, we think of days as the day is from whenever you wake up to whenever you go back to sleep. And for a lot of people, the day crosses over midnight. But in places like France, what they'll do is actually like midnight will be 2400 then 1am will be 2500 2am will be 2600 and you know you you only reset back to you know 6am or whenever when you're getting up in the morning and so i think you know we're just it's just it's 2600 on a thursday night simple as canal street famously in the heart of paris and episode 2 um turns out is called stuart allen jones which is an interesting title because... That's what they say in episode one. Yes, they say um, yeah. Nathan makes reference to Stuart's full name in his sort of confession at the end of the episode. And I, watching the beginning of episode two, was thinking, hmm, it's not particularly Stuart-centric. We sort of are focusing on these three characters. But I do think that through the conversations in the club and Stuart's reactions, we start to get sense of Stuart's particularly Stuart's psyche of Hmm. what's going on inside this man's head. Why is he just having so much? Why is he solving all his problems with sex all the time? Yeah. Also, maybe it's, it's his full name because of the uh, life insurance, you know? Yeah. Quite official. I can't wait for us to speculate about all the titles of, of, of the the episodes. That's going to be, that's going to be a thing we do a lot on this podcast. I imagine. It's going to be a highlight. Uh. (laughs) What I find interesting is for a lot of shows, um, I mentioned earlier that I got into Star Trek last month and I've been watching Star Trek The Next Generation. And that's kind of one of those 
ensemble shows where you'll have certain episodes that are very clearly about one particular character but we don't we don't have that here we have an ensemble cast albeit the ensemble is three people really and we don't sort of have this is a Vince episode this is a Stuart episode this is a Nathan episode we find out interesting things about all of them but I feel a lot of the drama in this one was focused in exploring why Stuart is a cunt and we have Vince and Nathan talking about Stuart's character. Yeah. So I think it's a, it's a really quite sophisticated way of focusing on a character without actually being too formulaic with it. Not going yeah, not going full skins also. Yeah. Skins wasn't even out at this point. Well no, but but in skins every episode is a character like like you have, you know, the the Sid episode, the Cassie episode, you know. Exactly. That's all my thoughts on episode two. That's all mine too. On two. Oh, oh, that's, we can't, we cannot possibly end the first episode of a podcast on that. I'm sorry. I refuse. Yes. Listen to us in a week when we watch episodes three and four of Queer as Folk. Now, Zach, do you have anything you want to plug? Um, my bath, because I'm feeling a bit sweaty. Okay. Well, you can follow me at Louis on the Air on Twitter, um, Louis on Air on Instagram, but you can also follow uh, Lit Lab London, which is the the science communication stuff I do. And don't forget to follow us at um, what's our social? What are our social media handles? So, well, so our Instagram is Davis on Davis, but at time of recording, I've been unable to set up a Twitter account because the website screwed. Um, but if we do, then, you know, I, I think that's going to also be Davis on Davis or possibly Davis on pod if Davis on Davis is taken. And I'm sure as as we keep doing these episodes, we'll get a lot better at signing off <laughs> instead of just sort of wondering what our social media might be. <laughs> that's that's maybe not the best way to go about it. And I will making uh, plug jokes that Louis did not laugh at. Well, that's for the audience to laugh at. All right. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.